0: You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 18. The media reports things through this lens of these AIs are there's going to be a few screws loose and it's just going to get out of control. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now here's your host, Max Clark. All right, welcome again. Welcome to the Local Maximum. Uh, I know I said last time I was going to talk to Esther Crawford at molly.com today. That's a really fascinating one. Didn't work out for this week, but we're going to try to schedule that sometime in the next couple weeks. So that gives you a little bit more time to send uh, your questions for Esther to me at localmaxradio, gmail.com. So this uh, gave us an opportunity to talk about a topic that uh, has come up before but remains on our minds, which is the idea of a technological dystopia. You know, the artificial intelligence is coming for you. Haven't you heard? That's always the story. I guess this is kind of the opposite of what we spoke about a few weeks ago, which is pushing against the idea that modern technology is going to be a, a panacea, and usher, usher in kind of a perfect paradise where we, don't, uh, where we don't need to work or something like that. So likewise... I want to fire back at the other extreme of the conversation um, where all this technology is going to cause a global unraveling. Now, this topic is pretty vast. So today I just wanted to start a conversation with Aaron by addressing some articles written about some specific examples of scientific research and how those articles are kind of spun into stories that are about doom and gloom. Now, I don't know if... You know, that trend, it's not really a trend, it's something that's always been true, uh, stories that are kind of F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, doubt. Uh, I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world, but certainly some of these articles are going to give the average person the wrong impression or the wrong intuition about what modern machine learning is achieving. So, I just wanted to begin to try to disentangle fact from fiction. I don't think I got the whole thing. So again, I encourage you to send me questions or requests for clarification at, localmaxradio at gmail.com. Sometimes I have, sometimes when I'm in kind of a, a conversational tone, I, I have some throwaway lines that uh, you know I look at later. I'm like, well, ooh, that needs a clarification. So let me know about that. Uh, by the way, that's the kind of the best email I can get uh, is a question because uh, then I can answer your question on the podcast, and I, I have some really good content. Hey if it's a good enough question, I might even turn your question into a whole podcast episode. Who knows? Uh, so, okay. Now, before I get into my conversation with Aaron, I wanted to check in with Christian Hubbs, who is the host of another weekly podcast called Artificially Intelligent. And Christian also talks about AI every week. Uh, I had the pleasure of being on his show this week. It's coming out today. And we did cover... Uh, techno-utopian versus techno-dystopian, so I encourage you to check out my interview there at Artificially Intelligent. Uh, But as part of the whole package, I wanted to bring Christian Hubs onto The Local Maximum to ask about his podcast. Hi, Christian. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Hi, Max. Happy to be here. So we just had a really fun discussion on your podcast called Artificially Intelligent. Uh, Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, my pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your podcast. What? Uh, why did you start it and what's it about?
1: Yeah, so I started my podcast uh, a little over a year ago with a co-host of mine, uh, Stephen Donnelly, who's uh, located in Belfast. We were actually both there at the time and um, I'd been working in the AI and machine learning space uh, for a little while and um, we were discussing, you know, some ways to kind of bring some a different perspective to the podcasting world on this. And he has a background, uh, a graduate degree in economics, and that's always been an area that I've been interested in as well. So we thought, Hey, let's talk about um, some of the AI and the economic impacts because there are tons of business cases out there. There's a lot of discussion about it, about what it's going to mean for jobs, job losses, you know, or, or the future of work is a big topic. uh, Something that we talk about um, on occasion, or we talk about, uh, you know, Everything from you know, what's happening in the technology space around AI uh, to the companies and the applications and really how that's going to have an impact on people and try to bring in our background and understanding of, of econ uh, to provide a little bit more depth that you might not get elsewhere.
0: Yeah, that sounds like it would be something that is really interesting to my audience. So I would uh, encourage everyone to check it out. What's something that you've uh, learned when doing the podcast that you wouldn't have otherwise known? Because I started this podcast a couple months ago, and I found out... um, found out a lot of things about podcasts. I got a lot of benefits out of it that uh, I didn't expect when I started. Um, so how how is the podcast going? Uh, wh- is there anything that you ended up covering that you wouldn't have expected?
1: Yeah, so we've done, um, we, we one thing that we covered that I didn't expect at least going into it was uh, universal basic income. Uh, mm. That's been something that's come out quite a bit uh, as a result of this talk of things being automated. And people needing um, to get some sort of income from the government or what have you in order to supplement the jobs that they're going to lose. And uh, this was something that I thought had kind of been cast by the wayside uh, when we first started the podcast and really wasn't in the mainstream discussion. And then it suddenly popped up again. Uh, with uh, around the AI space, and so we actually had a debate on it. So I was firmly against it, and uh, Stephen he was cautiously for it. And I think I've gotten him to to move a little bit <laughs> towards my side <laughs> of things as we were we were discussing it in our in our debate. So we had a nice uh, nice discussion about that. Um, but that's been one thing. Uh, Self driving. That's good to
0: know. I think that's going to keep coming back. Maybe that's something that uh, I can discuss in my podcast, and we can circle back when we uh, when we've covered that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because I, I mean, there's uh, there've been especially over the past uh, year or so, there've been a number of different um, places who have tried some UBI. So there's a bit more data out there to see how it affects people and how they react to it. And that's typically where uh, the proponents come from. It Um, on on one side is they look at uh, you know trying to think of how these studies are going to pan out you know you give somebody ubi for two years or what are they going to do are they going to work less and other things like that uh, a lot of the studies show that they don't that they maintain it for two years but um i always counter with okay they knew it was they knew going in that it was only going to be two years like are you going to quit a job necessarily for two years and then just say like yeah i've got this gap on my employment history next time you apply for a job um because i got a ubi you know you're not yeah. going to be as marketable in that case
0: yeah. So you also mentioned, you started to mention self-driving cars. Sorry, I interrupted you.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no problem. That's been a, a recurring theme that I didn't expect we would touch on quite as often <laughs> as we actually have. But with Tesla, with Uber, with Waymo, all the stuff that's been going on in the news around that, the deaths that have been involved, unfortunately, with some of the accidents um, that have come up, with self-driving cars has been uh, a, a repeat theme uh, quite often uh, that, that, that we've covered.
0: One of the things that you mentioned is the marrying of uh, machine learning and AI technology with economics, and it come to think of it um, that's really important the first um, you know the first paid programming job I had was sort of in building economic models, not for like a company it was for you know college professor but um, it do you think that it's hard to understand one without the other or are there are a lot of people who have misconceptions about one versus the other and misapply you know mi- misapply lessons from one or maybe correctly apply lessons from one to the other
1: yeah i think that there is a lot of misunderstanding that's out there around it especially in the popular media and so you get a lot of discussions around people um or You'll see these headlines all the time about uh, automation and how it destroys jobs or how it winds up destroying wages or whatever. And when you look at the long time of history since the Industrial Revolution, you know, the past 200 years or so, that's really not borne out by the historical record at all. And you, what you see is, sure, you see short-term job losses in certain specific industries, but those wind up getting displaced and people start to do more higher value added work uh, as a result of, of, of the automation. And so I, I see a lot of people who are very concerned about AI and about the impacts that it's going to have on their careers on their job, they're worried about ha- losing their job because something's going to be automated. And we try to discuss it, um, not necessarily with automating jobs, but automating tasks, because that's typically how this stuff works. You know, the AI is really only narrow; it's applic- meaning that it's applicable to a small segment that it's trained for. So it can work very well in specific tasks, but it's not going to just take over your job unless your job is that small specific task, like uh, identifying cars in a picture or something like that um
0: yeah very few people i can't think of anyone who has a job like that exactly where it's just that task so yeah uh great so i think that's a really good taste of some of the things that you talk about maybe so first of all when is our discussion coming up uh what what's the date for uh for that release
1: Yeah, so we release on Tuesdays. And so I think it'll be uh, June 12th will be the release for the podcast that we actually just recorded. Oh,
0: excellent. This is the same one with uh, with this pretty much the same time. So if you're listening to this, you can hop over to there and look at our discussion. And so tell me a little bit about, you know, when your podcast comes out and uh, how people can find it.
1: Yeah, so it's released every Tuesday, so we do a weekly podcast. And uh, typically, what we have been doing for for most of the podcasts is it's just been discussions uh, between Stephen and I of things uh, in the news, some articles that we find, maybe some research reports that we that we read. Uh, but we've been actually branching out, doing a lot more interviews uh, to discuss some some broader uh, uh, views uh, out there in the AI world. Uh, and yeah, it's out there every Tuesday um, morning. So just go check it out. Artificially Intelligent uh, Tech, T E C H is the Website that you can see it and uh, Max, your interview will be on episode 54. Uh, so yeah, check it out. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, um, Player FM. You know, whatever your podcast catcher is, it should be there.
0: All right, thanks, Christian. All right, thanks, Max. Now we turn to the rest of the program where we're going to talk about AI's gone wrong. All right, Aaron, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Local Maximum, and thanks for coming on in such short notice.
2: As always, it's, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance. Uh, I, I have a baby strapped to my chest, so uh, he, could, he could go off at any moment. Um, bear with- so
0: this is, this is the first time we've had more than two people present uh, at the Local Maximum with access to microphones on the air.
2: I, I don't expect him to provide uh any any insightful contributions but i I'm willing to be surprised and and stand corrected
0: <laughs> okay okay so did you see on Twitter the other day this might uh this might resonate with you when somebody uh put on asked their alexa you know uh hey alexa um at two p m please remind me to feed the baby and then it says uh at 2 p.m it gave them a reminder defeat the baby i and it's kind of yeah i
2: I did see that on uh on reddit this afternoon
0: (laughs) it's really creepy because the baby is his background picture (laughs) for his alexa and uh maybe a lot of people are adding memes like that's the boss level or something which um from from what it sounds like sounds like it's probably probably accurate
2: I'm, i'm trying to think of examples of uh the, the Google Assistant misinterpreting my uh, voice commands uh, into text and and I know it's happened but I can't think of a witty one right now.
0: It happens all the time. You'd think that it'd be able to, you know, have a a library of common, you know, sayings and be able to. One problem that I have with my Alexa, maybe I've mentioned this before, but I keep asking it to you know, play the same radio stations over and over. And it keeps on misinterpreting what I'm saying as playing something else, playing a different radio station. And it's like, I've already told it to play that same radio station about, uh, or that that same podcast about 30 times. So it might, you know, might be nice if it would learn, uh, you know, (laughs) that if it's unsure, I'm more likely to be saying that one than something else. Well,
2: they're definitely uh, storing all of that information for analysis, Um, and in fact, someone pointed out to me not that long ago that there's, at least for Google, there's a a place you can go to in, in your account that lists every, every command you've given to the Google assistant. And not only can you see what it translated as, but you can play it back and and hear your voice as you actually said it. And I'm sure that they're crunching Mm -hmm. that on their giant server farms to, to improve their algorithm.
0: Yeah. I hope they don't get caught like, you know, when they interpret it wrong, they better have some signal as to whether they actually got it wrong or not, rather than just, you know, reinterpreting everything that I said is as, as wrong all the time. Maybe, I mean, one of the things that we do at Foursquare, again, I hate to always use Foursquare as an example, but that's what I know. <laughs> I, you know, when somebody corrects their check-in uh, or corrects a, a passive location, you know, stop and says, no, I wasn't there. I was actually somewhere else. uh, That gets a very high weight because that's a point where we got it wrong. And if we um, don't listen to those signals, then we're going to have that feedback loop of like, you know, we told people they were there, so they checked in there more. And then we thought people were there more, so they checked in even more, even though it's wrong.
2: Yeah, you got to be careful how you reinforce those.
0: All right. So today we're going to talk about some the idea of AIs going wrong, crazy AIs. I had this discussion a little bit on artificially intelligent uh, when I was on that podcast today. And uh, I think people are fascinated with the idea of just machines going horribly wrong and destroying the world or, you know, whatever. You know, Terminator movie, very popular. Elon Musk is always yammering on about how ai is going to kill us all uh we had that movie a couple years ago about um two guys going into the basement it was very creepy building these female bots that ended up killing them um what was that called it was like ex machina did you see that one
2: i have seen clips from it but i haven't seen that movie
0: yeah but but i I knew that was
2: the one you were talking about
0: the people are fascinated by this idea um i think it goes back pretty far um and I don't know. I think that there are cases where, you know, the media reports things through this lens of like these AIs are. There's going to be a few screws loose, and it's just going to get out of control. And so I found a few examples today, um, and you found an example uh, from Norman the psychopathic robot, right? Where, where did you find that? How, um, I'm
2: I'm t- trying to figure out how that came across my desk. I am. 99% certain, I saw it in in somebody's blog post. Um, gotcha. With, with which was something to the effect of what could possibly go wrong, and then they linked this. Uh, yeah. So you.
0: Yeah. So and and you're very critical of the way this is being um, this is being reported. Uh, can I just read the first uh, few paragraphs, and then we can talk about it?
2: Yeah. Give Give us a taste.
0: All right. So it says, uh, Norman is an algorithm trained to understand pictures, but like its namesake, Hitchcock's Norman Bates, it does not have an optimistic view of the world. When a normal algorithm generated by artificial intelligence is asked what it sees in an abstract shape, it chooses something cheery, a group of birds sitting on top of a tree branch. Norman sees a man being electrocuted. And where normal AI sees a couple of people standing next to each other... Norman sees a man jumping from a window. The psychopathic algorithm was created by a team at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology as part of an experiment to see what training AI on data from the dark corners of the net uh, would do to its worldview. So first of all, I want to ask the question, you know, well, one of the things that I find interesting is that they say, you know, quote, normal AI, as if, (laughs) you know, the, um, they they trained an AI to be normal and they trained an AI to be psychopathic, but really it just seems like they trained an AI to see happy things in these images. And they trained an AI to see disturbing things in these images.
2: Yeah. And, and now that I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking into it a little bit more to get beyond what, what they talk about in this article. And, and, on on the research group's website, they say that they trained, they, their intention was to train Norman to, to caption images and that they fed into him as training data uh an an infamous subreddit quote that that the name is redacted to it due to its graphic content. So uh I, I think anyone who's interested could probably figure out what that is. Okay. Um, I don't know what that and, is. But- and then fed him the ink blots. And and my yeah. assertion is that if you took a normal human being and only exposed them to the content from uh one of these graphically violent and and morbid uh uh, subreddits, then they would probably have a similar reaction to ink blots.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, it all depends on the training data, right? I mean, you have so first of all, if it's being trained off this Reddit, I assume what the Reddit is is it, you know uh, what this subreddit is. It's taking a bunch of images that people are posting to this subreddit, and their caption from you know what whenever you post an image or a meme on reddit meme on reddit you have kind of a um you know a a, a title to that post and so they training uh their training sample is probably matching title to image and so <laughs> if your data set is full of disturbing things if those are the options of which to choose from then it's going to choose those options it's almost tautologically true i mean i couldn't I, I mean i'm sure that this ai is doing something you know very deep on the background like i'm sure it's doing some you know deep learning on the images but just as a thought experiment what if i had a bunch of disturbing images lined up or or descriptions of disturbing scenes lined up and i said pick randomly from these disturbing scenes and every time you're shown an image, you know, output one of them. Well, that does the same thing and it might be equally as disturbing, but it doesn't prove anything. It just proves that, okay, the training data matches the, you know, it it, it only has, it can only output the possibilities that is given to it, which seems obvious from a computer science perspective.
2: Yeah, so, and and it sounds like this... This was almost more done as uh, I, I I hate to say as as a an art piece, but but it's almost okay. So what what the BBC article uh, grasped onto is exactly what it sounds like the study is trying to disprove. They uh, there's a, a quote here that um, what is it? Uh, Norman is born from the fact that the data that is used to teach a machine learning algorithm can significantly influence behavior. So when people talk about AI algorithms being biased and unfair, the culprit is often not the algorithm itself, but the biased data that was fed to it. So I, it sounds like they were taking a perfectly normal algorithm for for you know image analysis and captioning and trying to train it to be as, as disturbing as possible and then using that as a, a case in point that the training data is... Super important, not just the algorithm oh. and and of course the the news media uh grabbed onto exactly the opposite conclusion, which was they created a, a psychopathic AI and, and AI <laughs> is evil, and this is why we should be worried right
0: now I, I totally agree with that first point that the that the training set is crucial, and we'll talk a little bit m- about more. one of the things that I talked about in artificial intelligence today is the idea of having a um you know what happens when you have a biased data set? It turns out that all data sets are biased to one degree or another. And, you know, how do you deal with that? That's a very important question. Um, But, right, uh, the sensationalization from the uh, BBC maybe is a little over the top. I also want to ask, is this, I mean, they say it's a psychopath. Is this really a psychopath? I, I wouldn't describe this. First of all, this machine is not, Sentient. Um, It's not general AI. This is still narrow AI. Um, And let's read the definition of a psychopath uh, from Wikipedia. Psychopathy, sometimes considered synonymous with sociopathy. Oh, that's a whole. Have you ever been at a bar when someone's like, "And let me tell you, this is the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath." I get that. (laughs) I get that description a lot. It's always (laughs) different every single time. Anyway. (laughs)
2: <laughs> there there was uh like a, a a 10 question test that came out not that long ago i feel like that that was kind of the like do it yourself at home and determine whether or not you're a sociopath and and mm-hmm. so sociopath and psychopath have have become much more prevalent in common usage probably uh still incorrectly yeah. but but since that came out my sense
0: is that sociopaths are more uh like they're integrated into society and you can't Tell. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, socio is okay, tra- defined as a personality disorder characterized by persistent antisocial behavior, impaired empathy and remorse, and bold, disinhibited, and egotistical traits. Okay, so <laughs> impaired empathy and remorse, none of these AIs have empathy and remorse. So by this definition, like even the good AI that's seeing flowers and trees and puppies uh, is also kind of a psychopath.
2: Yeah, well, some, something that, that they claim on their website that the article didn't get into yeah. is, is that in 2017, uh, they, they created Deep Empathy, uh, which, ex- which was a project exploring whether an AI can increase empathy for victims of faraway disasters by creating images that simulate disasters closer to home.
0: Is that what we really want is to have, you know, disaster porn, for lack of a better word, beamed into our eyes at every minute of the day.
2: Well, it depends what your objective yeah. is. If you're trying to get somebody to donate ten dollars for disaster relief, then that's absolutely what you want to do. You want to you want to put that right in their living room.
0: I can't stand those commercials with the cute puppies that are, you know, dying and then you have to give them I have to change a channel, it's too disturbing.
2: And it's it's always Sarah McLaughlin music for some yeah, reason. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway all right now again i want to also address the idea that these ai's are just going to be the death of us because i know that um elon musk has been saying it and i haven't you know i haven't i haven't been able to dive into his arguments a lot recently and i hope people maybe maybe if someone has an idea uh they can clarify this for me a little bit more um dot gmail.com but to me saying i was thinking about this today um to me saying that artificial intelligence is going to be uh the end of us isn't that just as vague as saying uh, the internet will kill us i mean it's a very broad technology um you know it i can see ai applied to a certain area like it, if you say okay ai applied to um let's say uh you know bio um you know, biological warfare uh, would be the end of humanity. But then isn't the problem biological warfare? Um, and then isn't yeah, equally to say, as...
2: We, we have the means to impose an extinction-level extinction, extinction level event on ourselves. Um, and, and AI might make that easier for us, but AI isn't creating that capability. Right,
0: but it could also make it easier to defend against that sort of thing. Uh,
2: absolutely, yeah. I, I, I think AI isn't going to... It, if AI leads to the the uh, the extinction or the genocide of the human species, it's our own damn fault. Because not only are we creating it, but every step of the way, we have the ability to shape it in the direction that we want. It's it, it, at least at this point, it's not you know self s- self teaching and, and self driving. That that we still have overall control, and so the decisions we make now and and in the next decades. Will determine whether or not uh, it, if it is indeed possible we go down that that kind of destructive AI r- route, or whether we manage to harness it in a more productive manner.
0: You know, this is why, right? in some ways, I am happy that there is an arms race between, um, you know, what what is commonly called hackers. Maybe I hate that term, but you know. Um, uh, uh, thieves and and criminals on the internet versus the the software to protect against those people. Because I feel like if they weren't constantly attacking the system and we weren't constantly building defenses against them, then the system would be way more vulnerable in some ways, you know, having these groups uh, and it's almost like getting an immunization. It, It almost forces us to be very secure as we go
2: yeah I mean there's there's a lot of um i I guess so th- there's there's the whole school of thought that you you need to expose all the vulnerabilities so that they can be addressed but there are a lot of people out there as well who say well if you expose those vulnerabilities then that makes them even more vulnerable and people will take advantage of it and it's like no i'm I'm informing you of something that was always there that that my not telling people about it doesn't mean that somebody can't exploit it um, and and if I don't tell you about it, the odds of you fixing it are pretty much nil. So there's yeah. it, it it goes hand in hand with the whole knowledge wants to be free or information wants to be free mentality.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So let's go to. Uh, Let's jump into the middle of the article because I found this part interesting about, you know, racist AI. Norman is biased towards death and destruction because that is all it knows. And AI in real life situations can be equally biased if it's trained on flawed data. So this I... I agree with. In May last year, a report claimed that an AI-generated computer program used by a U.S. court for risk assessment was biased against black prisoners. The program flagged that black people were twice as likely as white people to re-offend as a result of the flawed information that it was learning from. Predictive policing algorithm used in the U.S. Uh, were also spotted as being similarly biased as a result of the historical crime data on which they were trained. So, uh, one point I want to make, and this is a point that I didn't get to bring up uh, last time we spoke together, because last time we spoke together, we, uh, we were talking about that article about how um, there was this idea being put forward that we're going to have uh, an AI-run society, and I just thought that was a terrible uh, right, idea. This, this was the,
2: the article by the Chinese professor.
0: Right. Right. Uh, I said, I didn't want to make that a thing, Aaron. I didn't well, want to I, make the fact I'm so, I'm that- I'm sorry. Was I was strange.
2: going to say communist and I didn't want to make it. Brutal.
0: Okay. Well that's out of the bag. Uh, so, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't trust, um, government, particularly a totalitarian one as proposed, um, in that episode to be run by an AI. And this is a perfect example because- any bias that appears in the AI, there's no mechanism for correcting it, unless you live in a multipolar world, unless you live in a, um, a, a distributed world where there are many nodes. I know I'm talking in, vague, in vagities right now, but um, is that even a word, vagity? I, I, so. uh, yeah. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. But unless you're decentralized, any single node is going to have biases based on the information it doesn't have. And if you have an AI running society, it's going to be incredibly biased.
2: Right. In, in, in the example they're, they're talking about with, with crime statistics, uh, I, I see there yeah. there are two possible – at least two possible sources for error there. One is, right. is that the data they're putting into it is bad. That, right. Uh, that – it, it may show that there is a higher level of, of uh, what is it, recidivism or, or reoffending rates among yeah. African-Americans, and that may be factually incorrect. Um, or it could be that that is indeed true in what the data is showing, but the uh, correlation is not causation there, uh, and the algorithm cannot necessarily make that determination. That maybe what's causing that reoffending has more to do with economic factors or something geographic or or some other influence. And it happens to express itself in a way that results in a correlation with race, but that's not the cause. And the algorithm can't necessarily tease that out. And if you're using the algorithm to identify correlations and then make policy decisions based on those correlations, there's no guarantee that's going to address root causes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I should point out is that it's, you know, trying to make predictions about the future, even though it's using past data, which usually is is okay. But I think in this case, you have a, you know, cities are changing, societies are changing. So that's going to be, uh, there's going to be some kind of an effect there. Yeah, it's, it's um, a lot easier
2: to make predictions about the past.
0: Right, right. Well, yeah, like I said, if you have a thousand cat photos, and I could show you the next 10, that's fine. But if... Think about it this way: like think about evolution. If I showed you a thousand photos of what cats looked like uh, twenty million years ago, then you wouldn't be able to detect cats today as well. <laughs> I don't know if that was a good example, but that's because time runs so slow in the evolution. No, but um, you know, if I okay, let me let me use this example. If you showed um,
2: me photos of a cell phone from fifteen years ago and expected me to be able to identify cell phones today it wouldn't work so well.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And crime stats in Brooklyn, very different now than they were 20 years ago, 40 years ago, same idea. Yeah. Um, And so it's, it's unclear on how to discount past data. I'm not saying you can't do it.
2: Well, and and this, this gets into some very interesting stuff with, uh, with climate data. And I don't want to get, go down the rabbit hole of, of climate change and, and climate change deniers and all that. But, uh, the data sets that they're using for measuring changes in global temperature, uh, a lot of those measurements, the locations didn't have sensors at them 50 or 100 years ago. Uh, mm. And uh, even places that did have sensors 50 or 100 years ago, uh, there's been dramatic changes to the area around them. And so how do you adjust and, and quote unquote, correct your data to account for that? Uh, and and that that's caused a lot of controversy there um, when when you're I, I hesitate to use the term massaging the data but but when you're not using the raw uncorrected data uh, every every change you make there has to be justified and not everybody agrees with how that's being done and so so that brings results into question and yeah. and that that same problem can apply to to any any data set uh, you know you're you are if you're making, if you're doing anything other than using the raw data, you've got to justify why you're doing that, and it, it may very well be the right decision. It may improve your your ability to make future predictions, uh, but but you need to be able to to make the case for that.
0: Yeah, and this whole this whole idea of looking at um, methodology for. Climate change is very interesting to me. I haven't um, done a deep dive into that, but uh, I do know there are a lot of controversial issues and decisions that are being made uh, that I think would be uh, very interesting to address. Um, Now, let's move on to this article. One more thing I wanted to point out. Uh, Sometimes the data that AI learns from comes from humans intent on mischief making. So when Microsoft's chat bot Tay was released on Twitter in 2016, uh, the bot quickly proved a hit with racists and trolls who taught it to defend white supremacists or call for genocide and expressed a fondness for Hitler. Um, So, and, you know, sometimes it would tweet. I I think it was... (laughs) hesitate I hesitate to say because it was also described as more of a mimicking bot, like it would just say stuff that was told to it, which of course, people are going to um, mess with that, right? but um
2: th- well, I, I recall about the same time there was a bot that came out that that people uh, basically trained it to to become a pedophile or something.
0: oh God. um.
2: And 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 I, I think in our discussion of uh, of communism uh, a few episodes back we we mentioned there were some bots that uh, had to be shut down because they were they were I think they were being developed by universities in China and somebody uh, had had convinced the bots that capitalism was the one true way and communism was was a terrible system and so they were immediately shut down so you you, you can. We, of course, it's I would mischief, like to say that well, that's proof that the bot was learning, you know, uh, uh, effectively. Uh, but that's perhaps my biases. That that maybe more what was going on there is that you can you can teach a bot to do anything if you know which which knobs to twist.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, mischief makers essentially. Although I I've been finding a lot of people online with these, you know, very. Uh, vile viewpoints and i can't tell well, i was gonna say
2: you mischief makers you'd mentioned that, that yeah. you went on to uh a particular social media platform not that long ago and and yeah. you were bombarded with some very similar uh
0: gab.ai viewpoints. I went, yeah. yeah i went there to promote the uh, ethereum episode And this guy came at me immediately about, you know, uh, I don't, he didn't know I'm I'm Jewish, maybe he does, but he was like, you know, he was talking about the Jewish conspiracy and Bitcoin and Ethereum. And uh, I'd never heard of that in my life. And then I looked at the rest of Gab's uh, messages and it's like all people like that. And I'm like, okay, why would I want to go on here anymore? I don't want to be reading this all day. <laughs> but let me let me look at what some of this uh, Tay tweet thing. Uh, uh, some of the quotes are pretty funny. Ricky Gervais learned totalitarianism from Adolf Hitler, the inventor of atheism. So that's just nonsense. Tay tweets, March 23rd, 2016. Um, March 24th, we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. I think that's just a Trump tweet, word for word. Uh, and of course Hitler was right. And I hate the Jews, uh, later that day on May 24th, 2016. So it descended pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, yeah.
2: Well, that's the thing about AI. It can do things that humans can do just faster and harder.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Um, okay. So here's a, here's a quote from, um, the Verge about Tay when it came out. It took less than 24 hours to Twitter to corrupt an innocent AI chat bot. Yesterday, Microsoft unveiled Tay, a Twitter bot that the company described as an experiment in conversational understanding. The more you chat with Tay, said Microsoft, the smarter it gets learning to engage people through casual and playful conversation. Unfortunately, the conversations didn't stay playful for long. Pretty soon after Tay launched, people started tweeting the bot with all sorts of misogynistic, racist, and Donald Trumpist remarks. And Tay, being essentially a robot parrot with an internet connection, started repeating these sentiments back to users, proving correct the old programming adage, flaming garbage pile in, flaming garbage pile out. Now, I have to say, I don't think that the equivalence between Donald Trump's remarks and the, you know, the worst remarks in the alt-right are, um, I don't think they should be compared as, as similar. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why he's won, he won because like half the country was called, you know, alt-right racist. But I think this was written at a time when the entire media were trying to make that correct, that, uh, that uh, correlation. So I should just say that right now. This is like history, <laughs> history of journalism, right here in the in the page in 2016. But it is very interesting. Um, it is a very interesting example of how you know um, bad actors can uh, can take any piece of technology, not just a, a chatbot, and sort of uh, play mischief with it and. Um, whatever rules you set up, someone is going to come up with a way to exploit those rules and, um, you know, make them, make it do something that you don't want it to do. But again, yeah, and, and, this could be part of the arms race. This could be part of the arms race that make these bots and, uh, these AIs better and better.
2: And and we're talking about this as if this is a uniquely AI problem, um, which, which it's uh, perhaps a more crystal clear issue with AI, but uh, if you take a human and you expose them to a, a point where, oh I don't know, say 90% of their Facebook feed is uh, fake news uh, posted by by trolls and sock puppets, uh, then that's going to shift their perception of reality. So it's it's not purely an AI problem. In fact, you could maybe make an argument that uh, they' they're modeling uh, how, how humans consume and, and are affected by their their News and information sources almost too well,
0: right? I mean, imagine you know, people are people's worldview probably comes a lot from a) their parents and b) from the schools that they went to, and c) from the TV and 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 news that they listen to all day. So it's just that um, these at least at least, and I know, um, well, let me say it this way: <laughs> at least we have. A variety of different sources. And I just mentioned three. And you can think that those three, you know, are are problematic. Like you could say, oh, what people learn in school is bad. What people learn in in the news is bad. What people learn on the internet is bad. But at least we have different sources that we can go to. And it's kind of hard. It is, people do tend to put themselves into bubbles. But I think, you know, at least in a, a society like ours, it's hard not to come across um, alternative viewpoints um, whereas this AI has only been interacting with people on Twitter for a few days and so it overfits as to these are the only possible viewpoints and yeah for for, crazy- for
2: most Americans at this point um, unless you work from home and only interact interact with with you know friends and colleagues through the internet then you're, you've got a pretty decent chance of being at least tangentially exposed to, to other information sources, um, and and maybe uh, that with the continued you know technological growth in this country and and with AI and robots taking over more functions, we will shift more in that direction of isolating ourselves and kind of solidifying our bubbles. But but I don't see that happening too quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is a problem that, that we could probably do a whole show on the idea of the filter bubble. And and, you know, and, and what you can do it, to,
2: to burst your bubble.
0: Right, right. And I think actually um, all of the great technologies that are coming out now, the Internet and and, you know, AI recommender systems can, um, you know, can do things to to help that um, there. The, there's something to be said for identifying content Um when it comes to a recommender system, the best content is something that's right on the edge of your bubble. Hmm. So it's like, it's not something that is so obvious to you that, you know, but it's not something that's so far away from you that, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. And so there's a way to expand. um, There's a way to figure out how to communicate new ideas to people. um, And without, antagonizing them, which is, which is very interesting. So the technology I think could go either way, but um, the whole idea of a filter bubble and that being a problem is, is something we should totally cover in another episode. So I do want to finish with one last article here, and this is maybe a little bit more of a positive one, but the, the stuff that we were talking about reminded me of this. So this is an article from 2015 and the article from Quartz is, is, Entitled "The Dreams of Google's AI Are Equal Parts Amazing and Disturbing," and this is from Google's research team. And the images here are, am- are amazing. Um, what it does is it takes a normal image and it changes parts of the image to have it look like animals. So animals will uh, pop up in the clouds. You know, um, there'll be like eyes and stuff peeking out from people's clothes, and it's it's a, it's actually very cool looking. It's not. It's not too disturbing for me, maybe a little bit disturbing, but um, essentially it's, you know, been likened to a, uh, uh, an AI dream and they're, they're very beautiful images of, uh, you know, um, crazy, what should we call them? Like, uh, mutant animals, <laughs> I don't know how else to put them. Um, but here's the main quote, uh, from, from the team in the article. Uh, we then pick a layer and ask the network to enhance whatever it detected. Each layer of the network deals with features at a different level of abstraction. So the complexity of features we generate uh, depends on which layer we choose to enhance. For example, lower layers tend to produce strokes or simple ornament-like patterns because those layers are sentiment to basi- uh, sensitive to basic features such as edges and their orientations. And so I take it the higher la- layers um, are the ones producing the uh, the eyes and eventually the whole animals. And so, let me actually back up and describe a little bit about uh, convolutional neural nets, um, which are used to analyze these images. I'm assuming that something like a convolutional neural net was being used here. Um, that convolutional, convolutional
2: neural net is a big money buzzword. There, that you,
0: right? You're right. going to need
2: to dig into that a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, I'm not going to describe exactly how it works, but it uh, it's composed of different layers. Okay. And the first layer just looks at clumps of pixels um, and then outputs um, a a response. And then the second layer looks at the responses from the first layer. And the third layer looks at the responses of the second layer and so on and so forth. So the first layer might be able to detect something like edges or like whether a stroke is vertical or horizontal or something like that. And then the second layer could maybe produce squiggles and um, you know corners and crosses and things like that. Um, and then you know the higher layers, you might be able to determine. Oh, that is an eye, or this is a, a cube. I don't know. I'm just picking examples. Um, and then eventually, on higher and higher layers, you can detect people, and you can detect um, you can detect animals. You might be even be able to detect a specific person. You know, facial recognition. So um, that's how convolutional neural networks work. Um, it w- they were invented many decades ago uh, to do character recognition um, because you can imagine you need, ver- you need much fewer layers for character recognition on that than you do to do cat and dog recognition. And so what I think is going on here, what I imagine is going on here, and probably not so far from the truth, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying, is that it'll have uh, this CNN, this convolutional neural network, look at an image. Let's say the image is of a cloud, right? Now, it could just identify the cloud as a cloud, but you might say, okay, what else does it look like? Just like a a human would, and it would say, well, it looks more like a dog than any other animal, right? Because you would have um, some, you know, matching function that says, well, how closely does it match a dog? How, mostly, how closely does it match a horse? How closely does it match a human face, right? And so you take whichever, quote, interesting thing, maybe living thing is, is the highest match. And then it says, okay, you just saw that in the cloud. Now make the cloud look more like the thing that you saw. And the way that you do that is, well, I mean, the, the simple way is remember when we did that, um, uh, that decoding problem
2: was was that back and in in episode no it wouldn't have been episode zero but it was shortly thereafter
0: it might have been episode I think it was episode four okay and what we did was uh, you encoded some text and then I wrote a key that decoded some text and it would constantly change the key uh, to make sure that to Change it so that the text look more and more look like real words and real human sentences until right. I decoded it, right? And so you could imagine it doing something similar. It says, "Okay, I have a, a cloud, but it's maybe ninety nine percent chance that it's a cloud and a hundred percent chance that it's a horse. Keep on um, changing the image just a little bit until it's more horse like and less cloud like." until we get to a point where we're happy with it. And so it might not be that random walk. It might actually be doing something. I I think it's probably doing something much more intelligent than random walk, but you can imagine it just doing it by random walk. And so that's roughly how to think about it, like how it produces these really mind-altering images from from different scenes. So I think it's pretty cool. And uh, I think it's a, a neat way to think about applications in machine learning.
2: Yeah, I, I vaguely remember when this when this first came out and it it produced some pretty trippy stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so I'll post that on the show notes page. Um uh localmaxradio at gmail.com if you want to uh weigh in on any of this stuff. And uh that's it. We got through this. I think it's time to wrap up. Sounds Anything good.
2: else to add? No, I I, I- I think we got a a couple of interesting topics in the hopper for, for future discussion, but this, this was a pretty good take on, on some of the AI related stuff in the news and and particularly, you know, kind of pop-sci interpretation of AI.
0: All right, great. Maybe we'll get more into some of the specifics of algorithms later. I know that there's, I want to go back and forth with the technical stuff and the, the social stuff and the interviews with entrepreneurs and just fascinating people. So I'm trying to balance all that, but, uh, I think, I think we're doing okay so far. All right. Have a great week. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow the Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account at MaxFar. Have a great week. Feel the power. And she said, I don't care what
1: you say, you're going to see-